Welcome to this week's edition of Program Building, our podcast with Coach Kevin Lovers. I'm Donnie Smith. Our special guest this week is Dallas Baptist men's basketball coach Blake Flickner. Coach Lovers, you've had a chance uh, back in the day when you were in Colorado to go against these Dallas Baptist programs and get to know Coach Flickner a little bit. Give us a give us a little bit of a snapshot of what uh, from your perspective of uh, Coach Flickner and Dallas Baptist men's basketball. Yeah, well, man, we we had some unbelievable matchups. Uh, man, time flies. I think the last time we saw each other was probably that 16-17 season, maybe in the in the uh, regional challenge or conference crossover, whatever they call it there. But yeah, Coach Flickner, somebody I've had a ton of respect for uh, over the years. Um, his teams always play incredibly hard, uh, really talented, athletic, strong. Um, it was just always a really fun matchup. And, and uh, like we've talked about with other guests, I hate playing my friends, but I love playing my friends, right? Because it's a chance to reconnect relationally, but uh, it's also, you know, you know you're going to get a, a, the other side's absolute best. So that, that was always fun and a ton of respect. And then Coach Flickner, just as the man, has been somebody that I've really looked up to and respected as well uh, over the years. From a, Just as a friend, he's always been a great um, uh, person that I can go to with, with questions and conversations and really have a ton of respect for the man that he is as much as the coach that he is. And so I know we share a lot of common interests, uh, a lot of common basketball history, and this should be a fun conversation with Coach Flickner. Coach Flickner, I think uh, let, let's start there. The, the chance to play against one of your friends and coach against one of your friends. I think a lot of times people don't realize what a what a tight network coaching can be. Uh, a lot of times I think it's played up as, as Kevin versus Blake, but they don't realize that they spent about an hour before the game talking and probably another hour after the game talking. Uh, just kind of share how important those relationships are uh, to a head coach. Yeah, they're very important. And uh, having friends in the business that understand what we're going through and, and people that you can have some collegiality with and we, we compete, but we uh, also learn a ton from each other and have a, a lot of mutual respect is, is really good. And it's, it's not always easy. I, I know for myself, I feel like the two hours during the game time sometimes are a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and I am often ashamed of my behavior when the game's over and, uh, and have to apologize. And so sometimes that's a hard uh, environment to, um, to be in and to continue to, to have good collegiality and respect for one another because sometimes you just lose your mind in the heat of competition. And, um, but it's, it's wonderful having those uh, relationships with other coaches and, and uh, with men like Coach Lovers that, that make it really enjoyable. Yeah, on the, on the, you know, you talk about the, the education side there. If I'm not mistaken, it's it's not Coach Flickner, it's Doctor Flickner. Is that right? That's true. Right at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a doctor. I have an EDD in educational leadership. Um, not a medical doctor. I can't offer any medical advice. And as one one person told me recently, you know, he's a doctor, but he he can't do anything with it. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he can't help you. <laughs> So, I mean, I'd be curious, though, Coach. I mean, talk about that a little bit. And I, I know you and I talked about it at the time you were going through that some, too. And just I think about, you know, you can imagine you're running a program and you guys are obviously really successful. You have a, a full house at home. 
you know, wife and kids. And then you're also pursuing this doctorate degree. Tell us a little bit about just all the ingredients that went into sustaining success during that period and how you, how you managed yourself and your time along the way there. Yeah. Really good staff. I had, had a really good assistant and some really good GAs during the time that was absolutely necessary. Without that, it, it never could have worked. Um, I had a couple of games that I missed um, because there were class situations that I wasn't allowed to miss and for a short time. And so I, I missed, uh, I think two games during those three years. Um, and uh, coach Kern was able to coach the team at that time. And, um, you know, ha having his support was, was unbelievable. Having my wife's support and the kids support was, was really important because it was hard. Um, it took me three years to get through the program, um, which is actually fast. It was an accelerated program. My wife is working on a PhD right now and it's, she's not going to do it in three years. Um, and it's, it's challenging, but having good, good support, good people around you was an absolute must, but I've always valued education. I've always enjoyed learning. Um, I've always been a heavy reader. Um, you know, when I started the program, you know, they, they challenged us, you know, how, where are you going to find the hours for this? You know, it's going to take so many hours a week, you know, it's, you're, where are you going to get another 20 hours a week uh, to do this, which I uh, assumed that had to be an exaggeration. It couldn't possibly be 20 hours a week. And, but I, you know, I often get up early in the morning and read first thing in the morning. And so there was a, you know, a good hour, two hour um, window there that, you know, thought that I could devote um, to the coursework and thought that I could make that work. Uh, it was tough. And there was many times that I wanted to quit. Um, but uh, yeah, I've always valued education and learning and, and trying to learn new things. And uh, so it was a great opportunity that came along and it was something that I enjoyed doing. And my father is a lifetime educator. Um, my wife and I are both lifetime educators. Even if I ever stop coaching, I'm sure I'll keep teaching in, in some capacity. And um, so I love learning and love sharing that, that passion with others. Kevin said something in a staff meeting about two years ago uh, that's really stuck with me. It, it was model what we expect. And I think you skipping some games to work on your PhD kind of shows your team how important the academic side can be. And, and the academic success that you guys have had at Dallas Baptist with 100% of the players that have come to you out of high school, leaving with their eligibility complete, have left with degrees. Did, did that aspect ever come to mind? And then the follow-up on that is, is just kind of talk about the stress in academics on your team. Yeah, that's, that's a great quote and a really good line. And I think that that applies to, to leadership in general, to, to be uh, examples of what we want from our players. And, uh, you know, we're always going to need to apologize and repent and, and confess things where we fall short, but we want to set, set high standards. One, one thing I've been told a lot, over the last decade or so is with younger generation, it's really important that we show our weaknesses and, you know, we're, we're honest with them and, you know, show our shortcomings and, you know, that helps us relate. And, and I, I know that there's a lot of truth to that, but I've, I've always been inspired with the people that I feel like, man, I've got to, I've got to raise my game, you know, to meet that, you know, the, um, the, the people that uh, are doing things that are really high level, um, you know, th that's what, what inspires me, you know, not, not the guy that's easy to relate to, but the guy that challenges me to, to pick my game up. And, um, you know, those are, those are the, 
heroes and the models that I'm inspired by and want to follow. Those are the movie characters that I am drawn to and get motivated by. Those are the people that I want to meet. And, um, you know, one thing I've tried to do is expose our players to um, people that are doing it well. Um, you know, not just, um, you know, hey, when I was in college, I know what it was like. And, you know, I had college students sometimes. No, these are people that went through college and they were killing it. You know, let's 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 see what it's like to work 20 hours a week and get up and read your Bible every day. First thing. And, you know, to be on time to, you know, these guys have done it. You know, they, they went through college. They you know, they weren't drinking and partying and doing and they had fun and they were successful. And they were you know, those, those are the things that draw me in are, are like, wow, yeah, I can do that. He did it. And that's, that's something to follow. Um, so yeah, trying to model, which is a heavy, heavy uh, burden and uh, a calling. Um, and I think we, as parents, you know, we, we know that, that kids are going to pick up from us what they see much more than what we just lecture or tell them. Um, and so trying to model that well, important when it comes to the players academics you know we want to try and set that tone too you know they see me uh reading on the bus as opposed to scrolling through social media and you know so when I'm telling them put their phones away you know I want them to see that I'm not on my phone all the time and that that's sometimes a challenge um but we want to whatever standards we want to hold them to we want to try and model that and meet those standards as well um, and so when it comes to academics, you know, just valuing uh, the priority of education, knowing that if you need to miss practice or leave early or come late or whatever, because there's an academic thing that that needs to be done, you know, we want to allow that room while at the same time also teaching them time management that, you know, hey, you procrastinated. That's why this has become a problem all of a sudden you know, we, we need to do a better job of that in the future. And we need to figure out how to not save things to the end or procrastinate or, you know, have this problem that has to be dealt with during practice or, you know, we want to um, anticipate those things on the front end. Um, so there, there's all kinds of things that go in with that, but, um, but we do have a, a high expectation. You're here to get an education. You're here to graduate. You're here to get a degree for something that's going to help you after basketball, not just, Hey, everybody's a kinesiology major or everybody's a, you know, interdisciplinary studies major or whatever it is. But, you know, what are your career goals? What do you need to do to get from here to there? Um, and know as important and valuable as a college degree is, that doesn't tell the story. You, you can get a college degree and not be able to get good jobs if you haven't learned the skills and really gotten the education that it takes. You know, these kids, a lot of times, especially if they're first generation college students, sometimes they've been told, you know, hey, college degree equals 50 percent more income over your lifetime. You know this. And there are statistics that back that up and that evidence that. But it's not just the degree. You know, the degree is just part of the journey that hopefully is the education of developing you as a person that's going to make you ready for those things so that you can stand out in an interview and you can get competitive jobs where there's a hundred people interviewing for the same job that you want, because it's a good job. Um, you know, trying to find ways to stand out in the way that you communicate verbally, the way that you communicate with written skills, your uh, time management, your work ethic, you know, all those things 
become really, really important, not just to say, hey, I, I checked off a few boxes and jumped through a few hoops and got a degree. That's just that's just baseline. That's step one. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that go into a real education of a whole person. When you took the job at Dallas Baptist, they had not had a basketball program for 17 years. Give us an idea on what it was like. So you accept the job, you show up. What's what's job number one? What's the first order of business? Well, we needed to buy some basketballs and we needed to get some basketball lines painted on the court. And we needed a basketball locker room and a coach's office. My office for my first year was basically in a closet. Um, and we needed to recruit some players. Um, and when you're recruiting players, you know, now we'll bring players in. We'll show them the gym. We'll show them, you know, hey, we've won these trophies. We've got this stuff. Here's what these other guys have done. This guy went and played in Europe after playing here. These guys graduated and went to law school. You know, well, in those first years, you're bringing a guy in and you're just showing them a blank gym. There's no practice to watch. There's no uh, record of success. You know, you're just trying to convince them on a dream. This is what this is what we're going for. This is what we're aiming for. This is the vision that we have. And, you know, Eddie Gloviak was my very first recruit that committed to come to DBU. And I always am so thankful for Eddie because he had to take a step out of faith and to trust that we would have something that would be worth being a part of because um, there was nothing to really show, no evidence uh, to back it up of, of what it was like to be a DBU basketball player at that point. It reminds me of a quote, you know, when you're starting something, being a charter member of something, right? When, when you're on the front end of it, you get what you want. Mm. Uh, but when you're joining something that exists, you get what you get, mm. right? And so I think about, you know, joining something now that exists, right? Oh. So if I have my recruit cap on and, and you're Coach Flickner and you're talking to me, tell me what, what is it that I'm going to get uh, when I become a member of your program? You're going to get pushed, but you're going to be loved. Um, you know, we're going to um, stick together. And, and, you know, my goal is to try and teach you and help you be the best man, the best basketball player, the best teammate um, that you can be. We're going to challenge our guys spiritually. Um, we're going to push them in the classroom. Um, and so, you know, we want guys that want to be pushed and, you know, want to be challenged that aren't, you know, just trying to get by. Um, and so we want, want them to really embrace that. So we want to sell that from the recruiting process, you know, so from the day one and our, our initial conversations all the way through enrollment, first day of school, we don't want the conversation to ever be me trying to twist your arm or trick you or, you know, sell you something that's not really true or, you know, sugar you up and make you feel like it's going to all be sweet and, and sunny um, because, that's not how it's going to be when we're, when I'm trying to coach you. And so that's, that's setting the relationship up on a bad, a bad footing. Um, if, if the recruiting process is just a used car salesman trying to tell you that this car doesn't really have any um, knocks in it and that it, that it has a perfect uh, history uh, record. And so you want to you know really uh, present the best things and you're, we're trying to present, you know, our university and our, our program, in a good light, um, but also let them know you're going to have to work for this. You know, we're, we're not promising starting spots. We're not promising so many minutes. Um, you got to come in and earn it. And, you know, we think that you can do this, but it's dependent on you doing these things and you're going to have to show us that and you're going to have to prove it. And, um, and if they don't want that, 
um, and they choose not to come to DBU because of that reason, then I feel like we've dodged a bullet. Um, you know, we've lost guys in the past for a variety of reasons. And if, as long as we're honest in the recruiting process, then, you know, sometimes I think that's a God's grace to, to even miss out on a kid, even if you think you really, really want them. Um, if, if they don't come because of something that you said that was totally truthful and honest about your program, then um, that may be a good thing. Even if, even if you think at the time that I need yeah. to have this guy. Yeah. Um, and the we've seen that, that. Yeah. The one that got away is not always a bad thing, right? Yeah. Sometimes you, I know I do this. I'm guilty of this too, right? You create a story that, oh man, if, if this guy comes, then X, Y, Z, right. And then he doesn't come and you're like, what are we talking about? What are we going to do now? And then, Oh wait, the phone rings and it's somebody else. And it's just yeah. staying curious on that journey of recruiting, I think is such a, a valuable uh, mm-hmm. emotional concept um, as you move through it, because you never know uh, who's going to walk through that door and why, and, and what the story is. And so I think the curiosity to stay on the journey of uh, mm-hmm. who belongs uh, with you for a reason and who's brought there and, and who doesn't sometimes too. Right. Those can be, yeah. those can be, can be tricky times. What, um, what do you think, you know, if I, it's a competitive deal, right? We're all, we're all trying to do the same thing, right? Uh, in some ways on the court mm-hmm. and off the court, obviously we all have uh, different areas of focus. Um, I think you and I share some pretty similar things that we're focused on away from the court, but um, what would your, what do you think your competitors would say about you uh, and about your program uh, that makes you unique? Um. I think and I, I uh, hope um, that they would say that, you know, they're, they're doing things the right way. You know, if we lose on a recruit to those guys, we know, you know, they didn't cheat to get them. You know, they're, they're, they're doing things the right way. We can trust that. Um, there's some integrity there. Um, uh, you know, I, I, we've heard things like that before. And so that, that's encouraging. We want that to be true. Um, I'm sure, you know, some people would also say he's, he's nuts during the game. That guy's a little emotional and loses his mind. Um, he's a different person <laughs> off outside of the games. And, uh, and I'm sure that's probably what they would say as well. But um, I think, I think most of the guys that we compete against or the other coaches in the league know that, um, you know, what you see is, is what you get and that uh, DBU coaches are going to, are going to be trustworthy and, and people of integrity. And that's really important to me that that is our reputation. I want that to be the case um, and want that to be true. Yeah. Blake Flick. <laughs> Go ahead, Donnie. Blake Flick, you're joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, talk a little bit about your time at the Naval Academy. What What's different about coaching at one of the service academies versus anywhere else that you've been? Yeah, the service academies are different. Uh, you get told no a lot. Um, it's, it's a <laughs> tough place to recruit to, but it's a great place to coach in one sense because a lot of people think that coaching is just basketball. In fact, uh, friends of mine that aren't real familiar with college athletics all the time are asking me, you know, what do you do? Like, you know, are you, how are you busy? <laughs> you know, why, why do, they, they think it's just show up at the games or maybe show up to practice. They don't realize all the other things that go into it and coaching at the Naval Academy or coaching at any military academy, it kind of is just that we, we did really nothing with the academic uh, side of things. We did really very minimal 
with leadership training or mentoring or, um, you know, it's recruiting and then coaching. And that's not because those things don't need to be done, but the military faculty staff, you know, they're doing a lot of those things. Um, if a guy's struggling in a class, it's not that all the academy kids are perfect that don't have any academic issues or need for maturity or, or leadership growth or whatever. They just got other people that do that. And as a coach, you've got a very small window of time that you're hands on with them. Um, it's not like, like in my job now, guys pop in the office during the day and between classes, maybe come by and say hi, shoot some, get some extra shots in, watch film, talk about their girlfriend you know, whatever that, that doesn't happen that much at the military academies because you don't ever see them. Um, only time you see them is when you're on the road for a road trip. Um, because when you're home, they've got their military day structured and then you've got this small window of time where they can practice and then they're back with their academic and military requirements. Um, and the military guys are, are running them through hoops. And so you don't, you don't really get as much hands on with them. So you're not doing study hall. You're not, disciplining for character mistakes or um you, you just don't have a lot of that so you really do get to focus on the basketball and the recruiting because recruiting is is hard and the nc actually allows military academies one extra coach um, and it's like we were all recruiting all the time um you know across the country coast to coast um because you're you're uh looking for a unique fit and um and a lot of people just aren't interested in, in committing to the, the military for nine more years, you know, co college and, and then beyond. And so not for everybody. And you're you're trying to find the right right ones. And uh, so that it's a unique place. But in terms of being a, a place to work, it was great. It's a, um, you know, the lowest of the low in terms of division one competition, but yet you've got great resources. There's a lot of smaller division one schools that would be competitively probably similar to the military academies, um, but have very poor resources, very poor funding. Money was never a question when I was at the Naval Academy, we could fly where we wanted to recruit. We could go wherever we, you know, money hardly ever came up at all. Nobody ever told me, Hey, you need to watch your budget or anything like that, which is a little bit disconcerting when you think about that, the taxpayers are paying for, for all that. But, um, in that sense, it was a great, a great place to work. And I had wonderful relationships and, and wonderful people during my time there. I didn't see my wife very much. She didn't. Um, I don't know if we could have stayed in coaching if I'd had that same, same lifestyle for much longer, but um, uh, it, it was a good, good journey and really good experience. We're having Dave Pilipovich on who was at air. I don't know. Do you know him at all or not? No. He's from air force. He was the air force assistant and head coach for a while. I remember listen to him sometimes talk about what you're talking about too. You don't get, you know, like if I get, you know, our team's not doing what I need them to do or whatever. And we want to go a little bit longer in practice. No big deal. Right. Cause mm -hmm. whatever he's like, it doesn't work that way. Like practice ends when practice ends and they're moving on. Like they're yeah. not going to be late to that next thing. And so just a totally different dynamic, right. Mm -hmm. That, that um, experience. What about that experience? Do you think really helped you as you began at DBU um, kind of shape it. It sure seems like my observation would be that really helped you from a discipline planning. And, and I know you to be that type of guy, right? A very fun planning type person. But what, what about that experience at the academy do you think really shaped and informed who you are today as a coach? 
Yeah, there's a high level of excellence that is kind of permeates the culture. Um, and that, you know, was was a great environment. And then I, I transitioned my time during at the Naval Academy. I actually worked for two different head coaches and Coach Billy Lang came in and he kept me on. I got to stay. You know, that was a, a disconcerting time. I didn't know, you know, if I was going to find need to find a new job or what was going to happen. But I was able to stay on his staff. And so he was coming in and really trying to change a culture, you know, create his own ethos and, and vibe of, you know, what was going to be important. And I learned a ton from him during that time that was really beneficial for me trying to start a program at DBU because everything that he did was doesn't matter how it was done in the past. This is how we're going to do things. And he was, he was a really driven, organized, um, high level leader. And so that was a great guy for me to learn from. He was young and energetic and, and really fiery. He, he'd worked for Jay Wright and had come from Villanova staff. And, you know, he came in and was, trying to flip things. And it was, you know, these are our core values. I've got it on paper. Everything's in a notebook and we're doing these things. And he was constantly using key terms with the guys and um, repeating some, some uh, phrases and some uh, terms to just kind of communicate. This is going to be our, our expectation. This is going to be our culture. This is what we're fighting for. And culture is kind of a buzzword that people throw around uh, a lot sometimes has, less meaning and, and actuality than, than what people make it sound like. But I thought Coach Lang was really good at, at driving that home consistently. Um, and that helped me a ton because um, I was able to take that, you know, shape it to my own um, desires, but also steal from it and, and use some of those things. And uh, so that was really helpful. And so Coach Lang was, was really impactful. We also developed some friendships with people there at the academy. There was one of the professors that was a former captain in the, the Navy, um, and he and his wife got to be close, and they were kind of mentors for me and my wife and another just high-level leader um, that was was a great guy to learn from and, and a guy that really mentored me. You guys have both made the move from that second chair on the bench to the first chair on the bench. Kind of talk about some of the things that you learned from previous head coaches uh, to be able to assimilate into that role. And likewise, where you're at now, are, are you able to pass along some of those lessons and help bring up the next generation of head coaches? Yeah. So er everybody that I've worked for, um, I've learned a ton from, and um, I've learned, you know, early on in my career, I, I started as an undergraduate manager at the university of Kansas and I was working for Roy Williams and I worked you know, for the, the staff there for three years. And I wasn't even sure if coach Williams knew my name. Um, and that, that turned out to be false. He, he did. And he was more connected than I, I realized, but your role as a manager is to, to work hard in the shadows and, you know, to, to be invisible almost. And, you know, I was always standing kind of back behind coach Williams and I got to just eavesdrop and be a, a fly on the wall for a lot of conversations, but, but really learned, you know, during that, you know, he's, he was at, um, in a unique, uh, position, um, where, you know, guys like that, that are kind of at the, the top in terms of the celebrity of the, the profession, um, are constantly people trying to get from them, you know, trying to, you know, what can you do for me? Can you help get me this job? You know, even people that just worked camp, you know, one week and had maybe shaken, 
shook Coach Williams' hands one time. You know, they're they're asking, you know, can you can you get me this job? Or you know, and um, I remember, you know, just observing and learning. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Um, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's just got my hand out, you know, all the time. So uh, as a manager, but then even after being a manager, I've tried to just always have a, a learner's um, attitude and mentality of, yeah, I've got my opinions, but until somebody asks, I don't necessarily need to share them all the time. And so I kept notebooks or, or files or things of ideas for what I wanted to do one day when I was a head coach. And sometimes I would see things that I'd be like, yeah, I don't think I would do it that way. And then years later, I would sometimes look back and be like, ah, that's that's why they did that. Uh, he was actually smarter than I I, I thought. And, um, you know, or whatever. Or sometimes I would still feel like, no, that's that's not for me. Um, but at the time, the head coach and the program, you know, they get, you know, the full um, loyalty and support, you know, obviously Coach Williams, but even other jobs that I had uh, along the way for, for other guys when maybe my position was a little bit higher um, and their celebrity wasn't quite as high, you know, it was always still, you know, how can I make the head coach look good? How can I help the program? How can I push forward, you know, what they want? Um, even if maybe I disagreed, you know, nobody would ever know that I disagreed. I would just maybe keep it in a notebook or keep it in the back of my, my mind. And then sometimes I would change my mind and come back around and be like, no, you know what, that was the way to do it. Uh, or I would later be able to, you know, once I was a head coach, I was able to say, no, this is how we're going to do it. Um, and, and maybe be a little bit different, but I think that's huge um, along the way is how can I support the head coach um, and learn from them while at the same time, maybe having my own opinions and my own thoughts Um you know, and if they ask for, for my thoughts and be, be ready to have a voice and to have an opinion and to have conviction, um, but to not, you know, talk to other assistants or definitely not talk to players or anybody outside the program about, yeah, that drill was dumb. I don't know why we did that drill, you know, whatever, like that kind of stuff would just be a cancer. Um, and so, you know, I think those things are, are really valuable. And it's going back to my experience at the Naval Academy that was that particular thing was ended up what helped me stay on because when the other assistants, when I first started at Navy were actually more experienced than I was. And one had gone to the Naval Academy had, you know, served. So I had military experience really kind of was able to bridge that gap. Um, but I was probably the lowest on the totem pole in terms of who you would think if you're going to keep one guy from the old staff, you know, who would you keep? Well, this guy has been a head, high school coach. He's been coaching at the college level for 10 years. He's got a lot more experience. Or this guy went to the Naval Academy. He played at the Naval Academy. He served in the military. He understands it. You know, he's got a lot of that. You know, there'd be a lot of reasons to maybe pick somebody else. But the coach Lang told me later after he ended up asking me to stay through the interview process was the first time he met with the team, I had a notebook or notepad and a pen in my hand. You know, he's talking to the team and I'm standing at the back and I'm just like, you know, taking notes and, you know, um, ready to learn from the guy uh, before he'd ever met me or I'd ever met him or we knew anything about each other. And that really stood out to him. And um, that ended up being something that, that connected with him and, and uh, kind of endeared myself to him. And it, it allowed me to, to have the opportunity to stay and to, to get to continue working for Coach Lang at the Naval Academy. So 
Um, I what think that's an important step. What types of things, and I know Coach Curran, obviously, from back back when, and, um, you know, but what types of things do you think, you know, you're doing to try to really um, grow your assistant coaches right now? So you got all those lessons and your experience. Mm -hmm. How do you find yourself uh, intentionally pouring into them and trying to help them? Because a lot of assistant coaches at our level, right, like they, they can't make it on what, what they're making both from the salary component and they, and they hopefully have aspirations to run their own program at some point. Right. And so yeah. I'm just trying to help them get ready. Uh, this is probably my own curiosity as, as much as anything is what, what types of things are you doing to help, help them uh, grow and learn? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's something that I feel like I'm really um, growing in myself. I, I, I don't feel really equipped to answer it from a place of, um, uh, I've done this really well because of this, this, and this, but trying to do it better. And one thing that we've um, tried to do in recent years is um, be very intentional. And this is a lot has happened with me and my one full-time assistant with our younger GAs that are our young guys that are on a constant, um, you know, cycle of in and out, in and out, in and out, or some volunteer guys. But uh, we've started to really establish you know, when you do a scout, this is how it's done. Um, this is how we do it. Um, or, you know, if you're doing uh, even recruiting a phone call, you know, and so we started to write some of that stuff out early on. I did not have the type of red tape or bureaucracy that, that would have done that. Thankfully coach Curran didn't need it. He was, he was more experienced than I was. He was my first assistant and, um, and he was awesome. So we were kind of co-head coaches in a lot of ways in terms of, of experience and, and the way that we work together. And then Coach Glennie, my, my assistant now, you know, very similar, although Coach Glennie started, he was a GA for us a decade ago um, and then came back um, and we brought him back and were able to hire him when Coach Kern left as, as a full-time assistant. But what we've started to do is with our younger guys, with our GAs, you know, let's not just say, you know, hey, give me your thoughts and then say, oh, well, he's good at it or he's not. Uh, he's good at it. Let's let him do some more. And he's not very good at it. Let's not let him do anymore. We've really started to be more uh, structured of, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Um, do it like this. Show it to me. Um, okay, go do it again. You know, on the court, individual workouts. You know, sometimes guys have some really good ideas that they bring, especially when it comes to, to on-court workouts. But, you know, I've, I've really kind of tried to structure and lay out a little bit more, especially early on. You know, all right, this is what I want it to look like. Now you do it. Um, oh, okay, this yeah. is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, and and part of why I ask it too, right? It's something I think I struggle. You and I maybe even talked about this before. Yeah. So how do you, um, you know, you have this desire, you want them to grow and learn, but you also have this sort of weight that's always with you of we got to get <laughs> to this level and mm -hmm. and, and uh, want this program to be doing well. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think, you know, as you're talking, my mind shifts a little bit to thinking about um, workout planning, practice planning. And some people that listen to this may be, may be in a world where, you know, they're not in college coaching yet or they're not even right. coaching yet. And they, they're just trying to learn and soak this up. You know, you and I have been there. And I think both of us are still there today, right? We're always trying to learn and soak it up from other people. So when you think about planning, practice, you know, moving through the season with that, but even more just so behind the curtain on a day-to-day -day basis, 
Um, what types of things matter to you? Um, where do you focus your time, um, your energy? How do you delegate? Who does what? Just, just all maybe some wherever your mind goes with some nuts and bolts about about practice yeah. planning on a day to day. I, I don't think delegation is a strength of mine. It's not something I've I've ever been real good at. So I'm trying to get better at that. And um, you know, with our players, uh, we talk about you know I don't want to to cut a guy's legs off and say, well, he can't, you know, he can't do X, Y, and Z, and then just shut that down completely. You know, let's, you know, let's maybe try and grow them, especially if they're a freshman or they got three or four years, you know, let's try and get guys better at different things. Even if I maybe tell them don't do that in the game yet. <laughs> um, but, you know, let's, let's try and expand their repertoire. And the same thing goes for our staff. Um, and I've not done as good a job of that with my staff. You know, it's, um, Sometimes it's like, oh, this guy's really good at individual development. You can do that. And this guy's not. So don't do that. And I need to, I need to be more intentional. Well, he's, he's not there yet. Um, you know, and add that word yet on the end of it and then take the initiative to, okay, you come do it with me. Um, and let me see if I can get you better at it and, and help you grow. So, and because when it comes to delegation, you know, my thing is I want things done really well. Um, and if a guy's not ready to do it there, well, then I just don't want to let him do it. Uh, you know, well, don't do it. I'll, I'll do it. Um, and that's not healthy. It's not good for them. It's not good for me. But that's that's kind of my natural um, tendency. So that's that's a, a something I've got to fight against. And I've got to be more intentional about, OK, let's let's get him to where he can lead a scout. Let's get him to where he can lead an individual workout. Let's get him to where he can lead a drill on his own. Let's get him to where he can make a recruiting call on his own. Um, he can evaluate talent and, and make decisions. And, um, and if you do that, it takes a lot of time on the front end, which is always, you know, yeah. the hard part, you know, same thing with, with kids, you know, do I want to teach them how to wash their dishes or, you know, it's going to take twice as long today, but if I'll do it, it'll be better for, you know, them a year from now um, or whatever it is. And it's the same, same thing in different, in different scenarios. So, um yeah it's, yeah. A tough, it's a tough dance right you, i think yeah. i think you said you know a little bit of a, a problem with delegation i think that's just means you're a head coach right i think it's i admire i was talking we asked uh, i'm going to ask you this question later so i'll give you a little teaser but we were talking about uh with another guest about you know if you couldn't coach basketball what other sport would you want to coach you know and i know for me uh my mind goes to football number one because mm -hmm. just all the intricacies and details and, and quick decisions and moving parts. I, I just, that excites me. Um, but it's also like, I'm always just mind blown by these NFL you know, head coaches I'm watching. It's like, you, most of the time you didn't even call play for the whole game. I mean, it's like, I just, it's like, uh, you're, you're almost like the CEO of the deal and, and you make yeah. some general high arching decisions. It's going to be the way, the style we're going to play, but you guys, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm always just so impressed at their ability to delegate and yield great results. Yeah. I just, I, I echo too. that with you. I mean, I, I got to get better at that too, right? It's just one of those, one of those uh, tricky things. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm looking over your shoulder here. I don't, I don't know if I'm making a connection here or not. But I was going to ask you if you had to put your sort of your program culture, right? I heard you talking about Coach Lang and culture and. You know, I, we use a definition for our program. Culture is just the way we do things around here. Mm -hmm. Right. That's good. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, pretty easy. And, and it does morph 
a little bit with every new face, the culture changes a little bit, right? But some of those, there's the timeless and the timely, right? The, the timeless mm-hmm. things are things that are never going to change. It's just the way we do things around here. And the timely are the way we do things around here this year, right? Because this mm-hmm. story that's in the room. And so I'm looking over your shoulder and I'm wondering if you had to put your program on a bumper sticker, what would that bumper sticker read? It can be, it can cover the whole bumper, but what, what would it read? Yeah. Um, that's good. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I've got a a bumper sticker ready to go, but you know, I want our program to be distinct in our pursuit of excellence. Everybody's trying to win, you know, but we're, we're trying to pursue excellence in, in two really distinct ways that I think is, um, maybe different from a lot of other programs. And, and one is the integrity, you know, that hey, we want to not just follow the rules, but follow the spirit of the rules from the NCA, from uh, our, our university, um, you know, from whatever it is, we don't want to just be con men that uh, can fake the game, you know, and, and, and fake it uh, and, and put on a good face and, and kind of sell something that's that's not really true. So we we want to we want to lead with integrity and pursue excellence and trying to win championships with integrity. And then the other area that we we want to be really distinct is inter- very intentional about our our Christian discipleship or, or mentoring. Um, but you know we want to make that uh, very intentional part of of what we're doing. So that means time with players, talking about things besides basketball. That means you know, getting to know them, having a relationship with them. Um, that means challenging them on, uh, you know, ways to grow that may have nothing to do with them as a basketball player, nothing direct to do as a basketball player anyways. Um, you know, want that to be be a really big uh, part of what, what we're doing. So DBU basketball's striving to win championships in a way that glorifies God through our commitment to integrity and Christian discipleship. Um, I guess there's your bumper sticker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be Chase the Lion over your shoulder there, which I like that. Yeah, this isn't even my office. This is That's just okay. a office. It's got a logo, so I thought it would make a good backdrop. Um, but <laughs> this is our – I'm in Mark athletic director's conference okay. room right now. He's got the Mark Batterson, Chase the Lion. I actually – I tell you one that I really love, but it's not mine. I don't know if I can steal it. But, steal away. Um, We're all yeah, good. Scott Cross at Troy University, they've got this phrase, take the stairs. And um, yeah. I really like that because I, I give my guys a hard time about that. It, when we're at hotels all the time, I'm like you're a college athlete and your floor, your room's on the second floor and you're taking the elevator. Are you serious? Um, and I, I like yeah, I give them a hard time, but take the stairs. Yeah. Quit looking for easy ways. Quit being, you know, well, you guys, it's the same. Way we're, we're all, uh, we're all good thieves. And I run like half your plays because you guys kick their butt with them. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it's a big deal to, to mimic. Uh, I'll use the word mimic rather than steal, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. going to mimic somebody else's program. So uh, yeah. you got that part going, but that, that's good. I, I appreciate you sharing all that, you know, and I, I just know too, I mean, your program's always, I mean, your team's just competed so fiercely, mm-hmm. right? It was just, it was unbelievable all the time. And I know you're, 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 joking on yourself a little bit about your competitive nature inside that two hours. But um, it's always funny. People would come up and be like, man, he is so intense. And I'm like, yeah, but he's like the most easy to talk to conversational guy. When we're, when we're away from the court, I love just sitting down with you. Cause it's, it's just very calm and easy. It's like, Oh, I, I can't believe that. You know I'm like? Well, it's, uh, it's great. But when somebody picks up that dribble and you're giving them the, no, get on them. 
you know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's, no. uh, it's awesome, man. You have a great uh, competitive spirit to you because it matters to you and you're trying to get the most out of yourself and your kids you can. And uh, it's always just been, been so fun with you. So Donnie, I might've cut you off there. What were you trying to do? No, you're good. I was going to ask, uh, you know, obviously you work at a place uh, where, you, where you can bring Jesus into your team. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no questions or concerns about that. You've mentioned a couple of times about challenging your players spiritually. What, yeah. what does that look like when they come in as freshmen, then leave as seniors in between those four years as you and your coaches challenge them spiritually? What, what does that mean? And, and what do you hope you get out of that? Yeah. So really it, it, it starts with figuring out where they're at, you know, in their relationship with God and their thought about spiritual things. Um, you know, most of the guys that we have uh, that come through our program, you know, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, yes. Um, but a lot of times they've not really given a lot of thought into what that that means. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very upfront in the recruiting process about who DBU is, what our program is going to be about. But sometimes guys just don't, um, you know, can't wrap their head around it because it's not something they've ever experienced. And they're, yeah, that, that'll be fine. And no problem. We had one player that was from Europe and he grew up in a, in a culture and situation that was not churched at all. And so he was one of the rare ones where you'd ask him, are you a Christian? He would say no. Um, and uh, here in the Bible Belt, that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes people will say they're a Christian, don't even really know what that means. But in his context, coming from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, I mean, he just would, would say no. But we told him, you know, everything about what he would, would be involved in at DBU. And he's, uh, that sounds kind of interesting. You know, it sounds like a Western Civ class. I'll get to learn kind of Western uh, <laughs> history. Um, but then when he first got here, he, his mind was was blown. I mean, he thought he was in a cult. You know, everybody was walking around smiling and talking about Jesus and worshiping. And, you know, um, and it was it was a, it was a culture shock, even more than what we had tried to prepare him for. And, you know, he wasn't wasn't 100 percent sure what was going on. But we're always trying to figure out, OK, where is this guy actually at? You know, what is, is he um, does he understand the message of the Bible? Does he understand the gospel? Does he understand um, that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is, is our only source of salvation and that I need to put my life uh, in his hands and follow him. Uh, is, th is that a choice or decision that they've made? If not, why? Is it because they've never really understood that before? Um, is it uh, because they've been given some false picture of what Christianity is? Um, is it because, you know, you know, what, what is kind of their baseline? So sometimes guys have a, you know, they start with a, a knowledge, you know, it just, just needs some background knowledge. And then you've got to make a, a choice, make a decision, you know, wh where am I going to go with this for the rest of my life? But then sometimes it's not a knowledge issue. It's just an application issue. You know, it's, you need to know, or you need to grow. Um, and so sometimes it's, all right, you say you're a Christian, you say you're following Jesus, but let's, let's talk about these different areas of your life. And let's see, is there consistency with what a little Jesus, a little, a Christian, um, would be doing, you know, is, is this consistent with what it means to be following um, the gospel and following Jesus, or, you know, maybe got some good habits, some good, good routines, some good maturity there. They're doing some good things, but now it's just, I need to be not just knowledge, you know, or growing, but leading others, you know, can we get them to a place of, all right, can you be discipling and challenging and leading others and helping them through that process of knowing and growing and, um, you know, be now multiplying, you know, so can you, so you got to figure out where they're at, you know, what do they need 
you know, so, so that may be evangelism. I just need to, I didn't need to explain the gospel to you um, and make sure you've got a clear understanding of what you're either accepting or rejecting. You know, some, sometimes people reject Christianity, but they don't really understand what they're rejecting. Or sometimes people accept Christianity. They don't even really understand what they're accepting. And so, you know, is it a knowledge? Is, is there a, a knowing that needs to happen? Or is it a consistency, you know, in your, your life, and what you say you you believe, what you say you're committed to, um, that needs to happen. Is there is there a growing, or is there a leading? Is there a multiplying um, that needs to happen? And so, you know, can I can I help show you how to help somebody else during that knowing and growing um, stage of their journey, um, and get them to be multipliers as well? Yeah, and that thanks for sharing that, Coach. I know that that's a huge part of your program and in your personal life. And, and I know you're at a place where you can weave that into, to what you do on a day-to-day basis. And I've, I've seen it in action. So it's really, really fun to uh, hear you talk about that. And I know it's an area of passion for you too. And, and um, you know, I, I think about the basketball world for you and the conference that you play in, right? I think you guys are up to 17 teams. Is that where you're mm-hmm. at? Yeah. Incredible. And I, I know the talent, um, in that league from a player standpoint, the quality of coaching, know a number of, of uh, coaches in that league. And one thing that I think is interesting for people to hear about is scheduling, right? And, and how do you, how do you come up with a competitive schedule? I'd imagine, what do you play? 20 league games, 18? How, how many do you guys play? Yeah, this next year, we've got 21 one scheduled. Okay. So you got 21, 21 league games. And, and I imagine you still get, 28 if you play a conference challenge mm-hmm. right so so those seven games in relationship to regional rankings and, and all that kind of stuff really carry a lot of weight so when you guys are sitting around um, thinking about how can we position ourselves well for a national run um, what does that scheduling process look like and, and where are you you know what are you trying to get accomplished with those seven non-conference games given the strength of the league that you play in yeah, that's changed over the years. And some of the things that early on were really important to me in, in scheduling, um, we've moved beyond. And that's just related to knowing our team. You know, what is what do we honestly you know, we talk about our, we want our players to be self-aware <laughs> and to, to know who they are. Yeah, I think we as coaches have to know, you know, who we are, really. Um, and, you know. To, to not bite off more than we can chew and to be smart. And um, last, this past year, we scheduled pretty tough, maybe too tough. This coming year, we've scheduled pretty tough, maybe too tough. Um, I'm definitely nervous about it, but we believe we've got a pretty good team. And, and we, we think that we can handle that without, um, you know, getting, getting buried too, too much. But early on in my time at DBU, that was not the case. You know, we were outside of league, we were very particular about that's not a good fit for us. There were some schools that I just flat avoided. I just, we weren't ready to play those schools. It would have been um, too disheartening (laughs) um, to play too many of those schools or or too many games like that. And so, you know, there were certain things that we tried to avoid, you know, if there were guys that I just thought were like upper echelon coaches, um, I would just maybe not play those teams or, or if a team had like a ton of seniors, you know, a lot of re- good returning players. Um, we'd be really hesitant, you know, about playing those those teams. And so we, we kind of had to figure out where do we fit? And, and 
tried to, in the games that you have control over, you're not your conference schedule, you don't have a lot of control over, the league just gives it to you. But in your non-conference schedule, you know, we tried to figure out, you know, how can we play teams that are, are similar, you know, to us that are, you know, going to be games that we've got a chance in, that games that we've got a chance to, to compete in, you know, maybe even schedule a few in there that we feel really good about that we're, we can win, you know, because you want to try and find some of those too. Um, but as you get, you know, early on, we didn't, we didn't make the NCAA, we made the NCAA tournament once in my first, um, let's see, I guess from uh, about seven, seven or eight years, I think we only went once. Well, now we've gone six of the last seven years. Um, we've been in the NCAA tournament. So now our, our standards and our goals and our expectations have kind of changed. You know, early on, it was just like, you know, let's, let's try and win as many games as we can. Let's put ourselves in a position, you know, probably we're going to have to win our conference tournament to get in anyways. Um, and, uh, you know, would kind of position ourselves like that. Well, now we've gotten at large bids, you know, I don't know, five or six out of the last seven years, we've, we're, we're able to put ourselves in the mix now we're talking about, can we get a better seed? <laughs> you know, can we um, be better prepared to play the best team so that we're not surprised, you know, when all of a sudden we're playing one of the best teams uh, in the country. So now we're, we're scheduling a little bit harder because we're really trying to, you know, test ourselves a little bit more and get some experience. You know, some of the really, really good teams, the first time that you play them, I feel like is really hard because it's just like, wow, that, that was different. Um, but if you've played them once and then you play them again, okay, okay, now we're a little bit more ready for it. Um, and so now we're scheduling more difficult. We're um, playing some of the best teams. Our league kind of demands that of us. And, um, and we feel like we can compete and, and have a chance. So that's changed over time. Uh, I remember early on, the, the advice was avoid the best coaches, avoid teams with lots of seniors you know, avoid teams that win 26 games every year. <laughs> you know, we would, um, we had some, some avoid teams. Um, we don't do that quite as much anymore. Now we're, let's get tested, but you also want to be smart about not beating yourself up, you know, every single game. Um, you know, that can be pretty discouraging and disheartening too. And so we'll try and mix in a little good rhythm and make sure, you know, Hey, we know this game's going to be really hard, but we've got, we've got four days to prepare for it. Um, you know, we, we, let's take our chances with that one. We may lose it, but it'll be a good test, but you know, I'm not going to play that game when I've got a, on a Saturday, when I've got another game on Thursday or Friday, right before it, that's, that doesn't make any sense. You know, that you're going to play one of the top teams and you're going to not be able to prepare for them. That's, that's just going to, you know, be like hitting your head against the wall. Um, art, so, art, a little bit of science and a lot of art. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because it's a puzzle. Everybody's trying yeah. to fit. So you, you never get exactly what you want. I mean, yeah. I would love to just play one game a week, but they've got to play three <laughs> games a week. And you know. be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Right. So you get to pick your conference schedule. You yeah. Know, yeah. All it that doesn't work like that. That'd be wonderful. So, but uh, yeah, no, that's good. All right, let's switch gears a little bit as we get ready to wrap this up, uh, get into some fun questions. Each of us has a, a couple of entertaining questions for you to, to get you thinking. Uh, the first one, we'll give you a magic wand. Anything in the game of college basketball, uh, 
societal basketball, however you want to take it, you get to make one change and we're going to live with it for a year. What do you want to do? No head bobs that draw fouls. <laughs> I would have gone with the, uh, the screaming and one every time somebody makes a layup, but we can go with that. Well, I live well. in Dallas, Luke, Luke Doncic. You know, I don't know if he's ever taken a shot that he didn't yell and one after it um, or turn and yell at the ref. So, um, Fantastic. All right. You're up. You're up three. Other team has the ball. Five seconds to go. You fouling or are you not fouling? Not always. Yeah. This is I know some people think it's stupid. And I've, I've heard before, like, <laughs> oh, you're an idiot. That, you know, if you don't foul, you don't know what you're doing. I've been a part of three basketball games that were a team has lost with a foul in late game situation. When I was at Kansas, we um, came back and forced overtime in a situation where we got fouled, made a free throw, missed a free throw, got the rebound and scored it, took it into overtime and, and won it. Um, when I was at Colorado State, we had a situation. We were up three on UNLV. They inbounded the ball, and there was like six or seven seconds left. You know, surely they're going to try and get into the front court. And, well, as soon as he caught the ball, the guy goes into a shooting mode. He was like a three-quarter court shot. He had no chance of making it. I mean, very slim. And we're reaching in ready to foul right away. And with five or six seconds left, he's shooting this shot. We found three free throws. He makes all three. We go into overtime and lose the game in overtime. And that night on ESPN, the ESPN announcers play the clip and they say, you know, you're, you're an idiot for fouling in that you know, situation. Um, so, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's fun. This is why I love this question because our, our previous guests could not have been more opposite than you. I mean, just I know. straight on convinced every time we're fouling, baby. I'm, uh, I'm going to hold my thought on what I am, but no, I'll let, I'll let it go. I'm, I'm with you actually, coach. I don't, I don't, Rarely, rarely, rarely would I would I foul in that situation. I I usually let her play out. So but. there are some teams that if have a guy or have the ability to make a three point shot, but some of this is just kind of the um, I don't know. I've got a weird idealistic integrity of the game too. Like I yeah. feel like you play you play to the end the way you would play any forty minutes. I'm always trying to make it hard for you to score. You know, part of me feels like it's almost like <laughs> wrong to foul. Like, no, game, if you right? beat me by making a tough shot, you beat me. But I'm not going to yeah. cheat the game. Um, and I know that's that's well. Back in uh, I think it was back in 2005 when Cardinal Stretch beat us on a three quarter court shot off a mm. rebound, free throw rebound. Mm. The guy rebounds it, oh, wow. throws it in. Yeah, I really wish we would have fouled. But every other yeah. time, I let it play out. So. Mm-hmm. All right, give us your dream dinner party, Coach. You get to have three guests, dead or alive. Who, who's getting the invite? Mm. Three guests, dead or alive. Um, I'll avoid the hyper-spiritual answer of Jesus, but I'll just – I'll throw in um, Jonathan Edwards. Would love to sit down and have a conversation with him. Um Tom Landry. Um, okay. All right. That's a good Dallas answer. I like that. Yeah. Um, the community will be proud of you. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's pick one. Let's see.
I don't know. I was trying to think of a, a great leader that's outside of the sport arena and trying to think who, who that might be or, um, how about, uh, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Condoleezza Rice. Love to sit down and have a conversation with her sometime. I love it. It's a pretty good trio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a heck of a group. All right. I asked just, I asked, told you my answer before, but you can coach any other sport mm. besides basketball. What is it and why? Yeah. So you mentioned football because of the, the decisions and all the coaching that goes into it and, and things. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Uh, I'm going to go. I don't know if it's the opposite direction, but soccer, uh, which is in a lot of ways very similar to basketball, but you can't do a lot of things during the game of soccer. You, you hardly make any subs. <laughs> you know, you, you don't even sub that much. Uh, all your preparations got to come in practice, and then the game is just the flow. You know, it's constant movement, constant flow. There's not many stoppages. There's not many decisions. The players have really got to do stuff on the fly. At least from my perspective, maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I, maybe there's more that goes on than I know of, but. Um, I like, I like that. I like the flow and the players. That's kind of how I coach basketball. You know, I want, I want y'all making decisions. I want you adjusting on the fly, you know, more so than just, Hey, back it out. I'm going to call this play. That's, that's not the way I coach basketball. Um, uh, I, I would want to let the reins go and coach, coach soccer, um, and do it in practice and let them do it in the games. All right. I like soccer it. coaches might think I'm crazy. Maybe there's a lot more that goes on than I know about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just different, right? It's different games are different. I, I went mm -hmm. uh, a couple years ago, I went and watched lacrosse for the first time and then mm -hmm. the lacrosse coach and just asked. Yeah. Him. I was like, this is like every game in one. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the coolest thing when you when you start getting and listening to other coaches and different sports and um, yeah. they have their challenges just like we do, but it's but it's totally different. Thanks for sharing that. Uh mm -hmm. Two other quick ones, and you can give them short answers here. Best book you've ever read. And then also uh, in the pro sports world, one or two people that that you admire and respect, and maybe you don't know them personally, but just from afar, you look at them and say, huh, I like the way they do business. Um, Steve Kerr. Um, Pro sports world, um, best book, um, man, that's tough. Um, and it, it, there's different genres, different different things for different times. But I, I really like um, Talent Code. Um, I think that's a really good book. I'll throw that one. Yeah. All right, the last one for me, Coach Lovers asked what the best book you've ever read when you go to write a book and I, I go to the Barnes and Noble, I think those are still a thing. And I type in uh, Flickner comma, Dr. Blake. Yep. What's, what's the title of your book going to be someday? Willing to lose. I like that it. Sounds like it's already half written. Yeah. More than a chapter. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, it's uh, you were right on that. I, I am working on a chapter, but it's actually something that's been stirring yeah. in the back of my mind for a while. I, I just think that that we talk so much in our sport, you know, we pray, oh, this guy, he'd do anything to win. You know, he's such a winner, you know, he'll, he'll, and I think, I think there's something missing there um, because when it comes to integrity or, you know, culture or what all, all these other things that we talk about all the time and we act like these are big deals, if you'll do anything to win, 
then you're going to compromise when it comes to, you know, some, some issue. And I, I think you've got to always be willing to lose. You've got to always say, it's not worth that. Um, I'm not going to lose this relationship with this player. I'm not going to lose this lesson that I'm trying to convey. I'm not going to, you know, compromise my integrity, you know, whatever it is, you've got to be willing. Not that we want to, Yeah. I think you, yeah. you've got to be willing to lose. And uh, so that, that would be the chapter of my book. I think it's got a little shock value to it that, that yeah. might uh, draw people in, but I think it's a, an important concept. You had me buying it at the title. So you're, you're on, you're on the right path. So I read a lot of books. So, but. Blake Flickner at Dallas Baptist has been our guest this week. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to visit and give us some insights into you and your program. Thanks, Donnie.